0: What's good, streaming people? Welcome to Cannell and Bell, along with Raja Bell. Tommy Trent in for Danny Cannell. And before we get to our first topic, I want to thank everybody that was a part of our six-hour telethon for fantasy football, helping raise money for St. Jude Research uh, Hospital there with all the children. And I say that because uh, we saw what Danny was, was wearing yesterday, right? Yes. How would you grade that on a scale of one to ten? Um...
1: Yeah, run I don't know. like
2: Danny loves every opportunity to get dressed up. He just texted me, by the way. Um, I thought he looked there. There was a still he sent me of himself on set. I thought he looked just like Ed O'Neill as Al Bundy. Mm. In one of those pictures. He was offended. I thought it was lightweight, kind of funny. What are you gonna do? The the outfit was good though. Like the outfit was was yes. solid run DMC outfit.
0: Yeah, we had an eighties theme, and so you know, everybody was dressed in eighties of more of a prep. I had the sweater around the polo, pop collar. Oh, word? Like, like risky business type of thing. Yeah, okay. a little bit of that, trading right. places, you know what I'm saying? So uh anyways, it was a good time. We had a lot of fun. So during the first three hours of the telephone, the news kinda came out that Ed Warder was talking about an offer from the Cowboys to Zeke right. Elliott that would make him the second highest paid, or at least in the top two. Uh, in terms of running backs, meaning he'd be less than Todd Gurley, but more than Le'Veon Bell. So when we're taking a look at the highest paid running backs right now, Zeke is barely in the top 10. And I right. mentioned there Todd Gurley and Le'Veon Bell. So you're talking about thirteen five, thirteen eight. Raja, what do you think about this? Okay, one more thing, too, with Zeke, right? He still has two years left on his deal. Correct. Um,
2: I have mixed emotions about this, Tommy. I don't mean to straddle the fence, but I can see a case for him taking it and I can see a case or make a case for him not taking the deal. Right. Uh, the case for taking it would be you're, you're in a summer or an off season where you weren't even supposed to be a topic of extension for the Cowboys. Like you're two years out. Right. So you've got very little leverage in this situation. Like they can just say, Hey, come to work or we're not paying you. Um, that's a reason to take this deal. You are now the second highest paid running back in the league, you were at the table uh, before you were supposed to be at the table to re-up, and it would get you into that third contract a year earlier, uh, so you'd be a year younger, which is a very valuable thing for running backs, right? Right. Um, and then you don't miss any checks, you get paid, everything goes on. like That's the case to take it. The, uh, the case I would make for not taking it is, if you regard yourself as the best running back in the league, or one of the top three, which I think most people would, would say he, he is like use quarterbacks, for example, when they come up, if you're in one of the top three quarterback slots, you don't set the market backwards. Every time there's a new deal made, the money goes up, right? So if you're a top three running back and you see what Todd Gurley got and, and you're at the, the table to re up, you want to continue to set the market. Like you don't want to take less than he got. What other position in the NFL does that like consistently takes less. So if you're a running back um and you're trying to protect the running back position, like, there's a case to be made for not taking less than Todd Gurley got because they will continue to lowball you guys and continue to reverse the market on you, right? And so, you know, I can see it from both sides. Ultimately, I think if you're Ezekiel Elliott, it's a win considering the fact that you really had no leverage. Um, you're, you're you're two years out from an extension. Um, you're making six and a half this year. You can get to 13.5. Um the 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 guarantee thirty five versus forty five, um that's also a, a kind of a, a sticky thing for me. I want more guaranteed if I were him. Mm-hmm. But ultimately I think he go go ahead and get it done. You're in the ballpark now at least.
0: There's a couple things to unpack here and again, you're talking about both sides and I think that's what complicates a few things where people are on team Zeke and right. then their people are on team Jerry Jones. Like they understand both sides of why each side won't budge, and they understand why both sides are taking the position that they are. One thing that that may change your mind, and I don't, you know, the caveat of, of obviously this report came from the team. Mm-hmm. We don't know. And the guys from, like, Will Brinson and the guys from the Pick 6 pod during the telethon brought up a good point was that we don't know exactly the guaranteed money. And we think the ballpark w- would be there. But it's like, are there incentives? Does he have to hit amount of carries? Does he have sure. to hit amount of you know, all these others to get to that number two? But getting back to your point, like I think it's trying to make a compromise. At least they're starting a conversation between the two sides. But you're right about Zeke and the market, right? Cuz we've seen that with quarterbacks. Every deal eclipses the yeah, next deal. Yeah. That's
2: the that's the way things work in right. in sports and business. Like you don't, go, you don't go backwards unless you're under Especially
0: respect. if you're considered the best at your Co- position, correct. right? Correct.
2: Correct. Like when you are the when you are the premier players at positions you very rarely see him taking less than the guy who just signed a week before them or a year before them. That the market continues to grow, especially as the cap continues to grow and the cap will grow, um, in the NFL next year, correct? Mm-hmm. So that, that, you know, that would just be the one, you know.
0: The money keeps going up. And then one more thing about, and again, this gets debated all the time is the window for Dallas to win, right? Yeah. And it's, you gotta pay Dak and you gotta pay Cooper and they just paid Jalen Smith, which on that side of the ball was important for them. Then there's the notion of, hey, you should be taking a little bit less or, or this is a good compromise given that you're trying to win and be a team player.
2: Well, that's Danny's take usually. Um, look, man, if you – I've never subscribed to taking fractionally less than I was worth. Like, you know, I mean, unless you could guarantee me – unless we were a championship team last year and we had all of our pieces coming back and you said, hey, look, guys, we're going to run this right back. You already know what we can do with this unit – we're going to run it right back and, and we have a great chance to win the championship again in a one year scenario, maybe two year scenario. Maybe I take fractionally less. But when I'm coming up for my big contracts, like my money making contracts,
1: mm-hmm.
2: um, I'm not giving you back any money. Like I, I'm not. And what, yo, know, Dallas has a window open, but what have they done so far early in this window to make you feel like it's, it's guaranteeing a championship? Yeah. You guarantee me the ring, Tommy. Maybe we talk about it, but I don't know that you guarantee anything, right? So like I look, this is a business. For the Cowboys, right? But It's also a business for each one of these players individually. And if you're Ezekiel Elliott um, or Dak Prescott, when you have the leverage and you have um, all eyes and ears on you and people want to know what you want, you want the max. You want as much as you can get. You want to set the market. Now, you know, for some reason, cap restrictions, you can't get that done. Maybe we find a happy medium and, and get close to it. But that's what we want.
0: Yeah. By the way, the the argument I just made, not mine. I'm just saying people are making that argument. No, oh, totally. And what you're Danny saying does it on here every day. What you're saying also as well though actually was echoed by two former all uh, NFL running backs, Fred Jackson and Eddie Lacy. Was part of our telethon. They both sat up on set with me and Jamie Eisenberg and said the same thing. Like you got to get. You know, sometimes you only get one bite at the apple. Absolutely, man. You got to go, and you got to get as much as you can, especially when they know exactly what it's like to be uh, a running back in the league. When we've put up graphics before, where right now the average value of a running back is there with like kickers and long snappers. It's not like quarterbacks are getting paid. No, it's ridiculous. Receivers are getting paid.
2: And if you're if you're fighting to change that narrative, then steps like this have to be taken. Where you're where you're a refusal. To, to scale back on pay for running backs, right? Like, if you want me to play, we've got to set a new a new thing. Like, you know, sports in general, like we leave here, I step off the curb, I, I make the wrong move, I yep. tear my ACL, yeah, I'm back at work tomorrow. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it doesn't really affect my ability to go out there and continue to earn. Those dudes are one injury away from... You know, in a league like the NFL where they don't have to honor the contract other than the guaranteed bonus sign signing bonus, like they're one step away from, from, from not being able to earn anymore. Get what you can get.
0: Speaking of injuries, we had one last night. Cam Newton playing in the preseason. Now, it wasn't his shoulder, which has uh, been worked on in the yeah. offseason. It was actually uh, his foot or his ankle. So we're taking a look at the video here against the Patriots. First quarter, less than four minutes left to go. So... I think the bigger question and the conversation that we have here is, is, obviously the injury to Cam, which we're, which we're monitoring former league MVP. Panthers were six and two last year and then the wheels fell off and they didn't make the postseason. Cam missed a couple games, but it's more about the preseason as, as a whole, right? And there's the conversation of how many games, too many games. A lot of people are, are trying to create the argument and using Cam in this injury saying you shouldn't even play any of your players in the preseason. You agree with that?
2: uh from a football perspective, I don't know that you need four preseason games. Football's a lot different than basketball obviously the contact and the risk of injury that that's there every single play um I don't know that you need four I do think though that you need some preseason work so what number that becomes you know two games where you know you get one to really evaluate some of those guys that you, you you're trying to make your roster or not or and then you roll your starters out for one half of the second one I, I do think that you need, some preseason work. Four is probably four games is probably too much. Right. I don't know though that if you had only played two preseason games, this still wouldn't happen to Cam Newton, right? Yeah. Like it wasn't like he was he was just out there for I don't know the first quarter of the game. It's one of those freak things. It's unfortunate. It's part of football generally, not preseason football. Like this this can happen at any time. I do think their preseason is is a little long. Um, and and. and you know, it just becomes a little redundant at times watching guys that you know aren't going to make the roster play over and over. Who who really wants to see that at the end of the day? It's
0: interesting because th- it started to trend this way, but I feel like this summer has been taken almost to the extreme. Where it used to be, you play the first, maybe second game this this week here. The third week is that dress rehearsal game, right? Basically, the last inclination of any starters are going to get any time. But this year, we've seen. You know, like Jimmy G set out the first game. Aaron Rodgers was about to play. Then he gets, you know, basically bubble wrap just to make sure he's okay. So more and more, now we're only seeing starters play one preseason game, if that. And then there's the argument like that you made. It's like, he probably would have gotten hurt anyways. What happens if he got hurt during practice? And then in terms of, like, Jimmy G, he's coming back from an injury. He's yeah. got to have some rep. Did not look good. Sure, needs reps. Those needs reps. So are you going to try to sit him out again? And mm-hmm. what happens if it carries over to the first game of the season? Then there's the rookies too. Obviously Kyler Murray, you talk about Daniel Jones, Wayne Haskins. They got to see some type of action to get those live bullets so that I can at least have something to move forward to during the season. So I think it's a balance. And I think we all agree for gets too much. Is it going to be too? I think it's just interesting moving forward again. Teams now are more adept to sitting out a lot of their guys. Sure. And it's not like. It's another thing, too. Jacksonville, Doug Marone, their head coach, actually, for some of their games, sat out Nick Foles, not because Foles is hurt or anything like that, because he knew everything around him was not good. Like, the O-line was not healthy. sure, They were not going to be able to protect them. so why even risk it? I think for Cam, and he's got a new throwing motion, by the way, so I think it was important for him to get out there. He just happened to get hurt in a freak injury. I
2: think. Yeah, I think, look— When when you sign up to play a sport, there's an inherent risk that you're going to get injured, right? Like you, you're not going to be able to protect that, whether it's preseason, regular season, practice, to the point you just made. So, you know, injuries come and go. For for Cam Newton, I don't. I watched him get up off the field. Um, I saw him walking out in the boot last night. I don't think it's a major injury. Like I think it's one of those things where he got up. He knew it was a preseason game. Something didn't feel great in there. So why, why continue to risk it at that point? If you are can, let's get it iced down. Let's get a picture of it. Um, let's err on the side of caution so we can get ready for week one. I, I, I imagine he'll be fine. I heard some people this morning questioning like what kind of player he becomes if he doesn't have the same amount of mobility. And so on. I don't, I don't even think it's yeah. that big of a deal. I think he's got a sprained foot, a sprained ankle. They'll keep him off of it. Uh, they'll tighten him up and have him ready for week one.
0: Staying in the preseason last night, the Raiders and Packers played up in Canada. Yeah, and it happened because of the field conditions. Had to play on an 80-yard field. First off, how do you not know this is coming? You've been planning this for a little while. By the way, the Raiders seem to just love to give away home games. Like they have a <laughs> London, they have a London game this year. Right. That's they're technically the home team, so they lose a home game. They did that when they played in Mexico City a, a couple years ago. They give up a home game in the preseason because their stadium situation out in California, the Bay Area, is bad. So the A's were playing at home this weekend, so they can't play – or this week, I should say, so they can't play there. It's almost like – uh you know, you ever been to, like, a bar or – a place where your buddies has got like one of those smaller pool tables mm-hmm. like the quarter ones you pop in yeah, like, yeah, it's like yeah. a mini one right actually we have one here at the office here at, at, at hq so it's like you have fun you can play or if you go out to a public park and and the court's more of a, a sure you can, you can court, shoot half court you know what i mean that's yeah. kind of how i'm sure like a lot of the players felt like they were yesterday playing on an 80 yard field
2: that's got to be very very strange for them uh to your point like if you're If you're the NFL, aren't you out there testing the field and the conditions? And, and isn't there like prep work that you're doing way out in advance of a game being played outside of a normal venue for NFL, um, teams to play in? So that should have been something that you were way ahead of and figured out how to fix that. That's a miss on your part if you're the NFL. And then for the players, you know, I don't even imagine it was that big of a deal. Really. Like at the end of the day, I, I think, you know, they're out there. Most of them are just trying to get out. If you're, if you're any kind of, player that's going to see real action in week one, you, you're probably just trying to get out of there not being hurt like Cam Newton. And if you're a guy that's out there trying to make the squad and make that final cut, you could care less how big that damn field is. You know what I mean? You're just trying to make a play that would stick out to somebody on film that might earn you a job. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's a big deal. I think it's a huge miss by the league, though. Like You're talking about player safety and protecting players. Right. Um, you've got to go out and be ahead of that at venues that, that aren't your normal game venues.
0: Yeah, so they were talking about Holes in the end zones, the CFL goalposts yep. are naturally wider. But Obviously you knew of, all of this. That's the thing. When when they would have the Bills in Toronto, they they plan that during the regular season. Obviously they take the Rogers Center. It's so it's different. You craft it to be a, a regulation size field with right. all the dimensions. Now, things get complicated like when they do baseball in London, football in London, there's some there's some changes and minor tweaks. The baseball one like we just had with the Yankees and Red Sox was, was a little bit different because of the dimensions. But baseball it's quirky, right? You have different ballparks sure. different dimensions. players usually football, it's a little bit different. You you've got the feel. It'd be almost like if you, as an NBA guy, have been playing for so long, then they ask you, first off, let's go to Cameron, great venue, but small. Yeah. Then they don't have the NBA three point line. You come and you got the college three point line and then you're just like let's go play and let's go hoop.
2: Yeah, correct. Now what's interesting about uh like high school courts like so it's it's the weirdest thing, right? Like you know, college and pro courts are all you know, universally the same size. And then high school courts can, you know, you could play on a big court. Like some of them are in high school gyms. Some of them are a little like, uh, you know, high school gyms. Some of them are college gyms. And so that's weird, but it would be, it's similar. And it does throw you off yeah. Uh, when you're playing um, in, 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 in a dimension that you're not used to yeah. or a field that's the dimension.
0: So they talked about it. They talked all the way out. So should we play? Should we not? And then they ended up playing with those uh other dimensions, which is kind of weird. So again, preseason, you got to play some, not play all. And yeah. and. Um, guys are going to get hurt. That's kind of you know the deal out there, and that's the risk that you take. So let's have now a conversation about young quarterbacks, and we're talking about which of these week three quarterbacks, meaning the preseason here, is still going to start the season, right? So there's a list of candidates, which is Daniel Jones out with the Giants, Josh Rosen out here not far from us in Miami, Ryan Finley in Cincinnati, and Dwayne Haskins trying to win the job uh, over at – Washington so let's start with Daniel Jones you know the veteran Eli Manning's there he's looked pretty good Raja yeah it's again preseason though so I don't know how much you can can take from that um what do you think about Daniel Jones out in there with New York well I you know again yes you have to take preseason with a grain
2: of salt but he's looked really really good with what he's been given and sometimes that's all you can do right like yes it's the preseason but all I can do out there, all I can do is go out there and shred the preseason. And by all accounts, he's doing that. I mean, he's 9 for 11 last night, 141 yards. Um, on the preseason, what is he, 25 of 30 for 369 yards and two TDs. He looks really good. He looks like I'm going to have to eat my words. Danny's going to have to eat his words. You know what I mean? Like, he just looks like they may have found something, albeit in the preseason. I would expect that he starts at some point this season because I don't think the Giants are for real. So I think they'll roll out Eli. Um, they'll give themselves the best chance they can to win. It's been Eli's franchise for so long, but ultimately, if they're not in a chase late in the season, I think you will see Daniel Jones start a game this season for the for the Giants.
0: All right, and then let's run through the next three guys real quickly. Josh Rosen went five for seven last. By the way, the Dolphins got a televised
2: game. He will start a game this season. I can't promise you, Daniel. Maybe not. I think so. But Josh Rosen will start a game. They have to make a determination on what he is before they get into next year's draft.
0: And then we're talking about Ryan Finley in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton, not sure about the situation, but a good 14 of 21.55. Dwayne Haskins again, also. Uh, looking to try to compete with that job, Colt McCoy and Case Keenum. the The Rosen thing's kind of uh, interesting, is we're, we're looking at Finley as well. And I know Danny likes Finley uh, because of what possibly could happen to the Bengals and and maybe hitting the reset button. I know there's veterans like Dalton and AJ mm-hmm. Green there, but um, you know if things go south quickly. We could see Ryan feeling the Rosen thing's interesting because remember about a month ago, you and I were sitting here and Brian Flores is like, you know what, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick's our guy. Yeah. He's a leader in the locker room. But we said if all things are equal talent it's going to be josh Rosen. absolutely like, and and it's shifted because then after that shortly after it's like okay well now josh rosen's getting some of the number one reps and it's kind of slowly eking its way there so i'm interested in seeing exactly what the dolphins roll out week one with their quarterback
2: the uh, I, I am too um daniel jones ryan finley you have quarterbacks in front of them that are proven entities now they may be on the back side of that they're slipping a little bit they're, they're kind of proven in, in terms of nfl standards so you, you would Expect those guys to come off the bench. Both Josh Rosen and Dwayne Haskins, I would like. If Dwayne Haskins isn't ready, that's one thing. Right. But they don't have anybody sitting on top of them that is going to be your franchise guy. You know that already, Mm -hmm. right? So especially in the case of Josh Rosen, there's only one way to play that. I said it then. I'm going to say it again. He has to play. And if he doesn't start week one, fine. But he's got to be starting you know, week three, week four, and you got to make a determination on whether that guy is your quarterback going forward. He's a high first-round pick last year, or you're going to have to get back in the quarterback market in the draft um, in years to come. Or why make
0: that deal to get him in there, right? Correct All right, so uh, let's talk a little college football. Dude, it's back, man. I'm really yeah. excited about this weekend. Obviously, everyone talking about uh, out in Orlando. You're going to have Miami and Florida. And then on way, the way, 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 West Coast out in Hawaii is going to be uh, Arizona and Hawaii. We'll talk about the Wildcats and Kevin Sumlin. So let's bring in Tom Fornelli in here. Tom does a great job. All of our uh, formats at CBS Sports, Sportsline as well. Tom, good to have you. Uh, before we dive into the Pac-12, I know you had an article in Sports.com. Just give me sort of... Uh, your takeaways when you wrote about the AP preseason poll. I know a lot of people don't generally like to take a lot of stock into it, but when you see it, especially this year, what were some of the big takeaways that you had?
1: I mean, yeah, we like to think that preseason polls don't matter, but the truth is that they do. They set the narrative for the whole season. They set expectations. So if you look at a team that's in the top 10 to start the year, say Florida loses to Miami on on Saturday, they're 0-1. They're still going to be ranked. But if another, t- if Georgia Tech loses to Clemson and plays better against Clemson, there's no way Cle- Georgia Tech would climb into the top 25 at 0-1. So I feel like that's the kind of takeaway. And we look at the SEC, six teams in the top 16. So while the Big Ten has more teams in the AP top 25 to start the year, they only have three in the top 15, while all the SEC teams are in the top 16. So It's a top heavy conference. It's still the favored conference. And it's, you know, it's pretty much got an automatic invite to the playoff, whoever wins that conference. Those are the main takeaways I got from it.
0: All right. And we're looking at the preseason AP top 25, the top 10 with Clemson at number one, Texas at number 10. And right outside the top 10 is Oregon and Mario Cristobal at number 11. So he's entering his second full season. Oh, coached that bowl game in 2017 after Willie Taggart uh, departed Eugene there. And they've got Justin Herbert, which, you know, going through last year, Tom, everybody thought was going to be at least a, a lock for number one quarterback. He ends up coming back to school this year. What are your thoughts on the Ducks so far and, and some of the things that you have early on in fall camp going into the first week?
1: Well, listen, there's there's a lot to like about Oregon heading into 2019. After Chip Kelly left and Mark Helfrich took over, we kind of saw the program dipping. And since Mario Cristobal's come in and taken over, we've seen the talent level rise. He's been hitting the recruiting trail really hard, which is always going to be very important in the world of college football. So. It's a team that's getting better, and it's a team that's getting deeper, and it also, entering the season, has a lot of experience. There are 17 returning starters on this team, including the entire offensive line. There is no school in the country that has more experience on its offensive line than Oregon, and that's something that I always look to as far as projecting how a team's going to continue to improve because – You can replace wide receivers and running backs a lot easier than you can replace your offensive line. So I think that's a good sign. And you mentioned Justin Herbert, who last year during the season was somebody who was projected to be a number one pick or at least a first round pick. He's back. I think that's very good news for Oregon, but I also think that there's some reasons he came back because there's stuff he needs to work on. On short passes last year, he was terrific, but on any pass that was more than five yards past the line of scrimmage last season, he had a completion percentage of 49%. So that's something that I think Oregon needs to work on and Herbert needs to work on if they're going to become a threat to Washington in the North and a threat to win the Pac-12 again.
0: You mentioned Mario Cristobal in the recruiting. They got Kayvon Thibodeau, one of the highest rated guys uh, in the class of 2019. He's out there with the team. They don't play for another week, so they take on Auburn, which will be a really good matchup. Where are you looking at right now? What's an early lean for you between the Ducks and the Tigers out in Texas?
1: I'm leaning towards Oregon now simply because they have so much more experience, and whereas Auburn has a terrific defensive front that is going to really test that Oregon offensive line I talked about, Auburn's also starting a true freshman at quarterback, and I feel like in the first game of a season, I would much rather have the experienced offensive line and the experienced quarterback than the kid making his first career start, especially in a game that should be as tightly contested as that one. So my early lean right now is towards the Ducks.
2: Uh, let's talk about Washington. You just mentioned them. They're 13th in the AP poll. Uh, but there are a couple questions uh, regarding the quarterback and who's going to replace uh, Jake Browning. Is, is Jacob Eason the guy? Uh, and what's the ceiling for this team uh, if he, you know, turns out to be uh, the lead guy there in Washington?
1: Yeah, Washington hasn't officially announced it yet, but I think we could pretty much write it in ink that Jacob Eason will be their starting quarterback when the season begins. And I think that could be a very good thing for Washington because Jacob Browning was a four-year starter for the Huskies, and he did a very good job for them. It's just he was also limited. That Washington offense never really presented a vertical threat in the passing game because Browning simply didn't have the arm to make it happen. Jacob Eason does. The kid's got a cannon. He was a five-star recruit. He originally went to Georgia, lost out to Jake Fromm before transferring to Washington before last season. He's from the state of Washington, so he's a hometown kid. And he brings that element that Washington has been lacking on offense the last few years with Browning and should make that offense more dynamic. I'm more concerned about the defense, which is replacing a lot of starters. I believe there are only two returning starters back on that unit. But the good news is, Jimmy Lake has done a fantastic job at that defense over the years. Every year when I watch Washington play, they don't always have the most talent on the defense, so they still send plenty of kids to the NFL. But they just it's a defense that's probably one of the best coached units I've seen year in and year out. They just don't make mistakes, and that's a huge credit to Jimmy Lake, the defensive coordinator, and his co-coordinator, Pete Kwiatkowski.
0: And Washington opens the season with Eastern Washington at the end of the month. Moving on to the Pac-12 South Champs, Utah. They're right there also in the teens at 14. And it's a conversation always about Kyle Whittingham, right, Tom? Like, always under the radar, generally does well when they're kind of been looked at as not the best team. What about if it's different when you have expectations going into a season? We know USC is certainly down. We'll get to the Trojans and Clay Helton a little bit. What do you think the outlook is for the Utes out there?
1: Yeah, Kyle Whittingham is criminally underappreciated by most people around the country, but I think this is a team that thrives, like you said, they kind of thrive in that underdog role, and even though they won the Pac-12 South last year, I still think they could have that kind of chip on their shoulder coming into 2019 because, yes, they won the division last year, but Pac-12 South wasn't exactly a very good division. USC had a horrible season, and Utah, even though they won it, they still won it with a 6-3 and three record, and they lost their final two games of the season, including their bowl game, to finish 9 and five. So it's not like this is a juggernaut coming into the season. It was a very young team last year, and they were turning a lot of the key players from that team to this season. But while they might still be a favorite in the Pac-12 South... There's still a gap between them and the better teams in the Pac-12 North. We can't forget that two of their five losses last season came to Washington, one during the regular season and one in the Pac-12 title game. And in those two games, Utah managed to score a combined total of 10 points and have 449 yards of offense. So there's still a lot of work to be done. But if you're looking at the South and you're looking at the experience and you're looking at the coaching, the Utes are certainly a favorite to win that division. It's just, can they win the Pac-12? We'll have to wait and see. All
2: right, let's talk. Let's talk USC and Clay Helton. They're coming off a 5-7 and seven season uh, last year. Uh, hired Cliff Kingsbury to be the new AC. Obviously, Cliff Kingsbury uh, now with the Arizona Cardinals. So then they went out and they got Graham Harrell. What's that offense going to look like under Graham Harrell? And, and what's USC going to look like in general this year?
1: You know, it's it's going to look pretty similar to what Cliff Kingsbury would have done. You know, both Kingsbury and Harrell went to the Mike Leach School of Air Raid Offense. They were both quarterbacks at Texas Tech. They received their doctorates in the offense. So USC is going to air it out, which is good because you know they've had plenty of talent. That has not been the problem for USC the last few years. It's been coaching in that they've been kind of they they've been slow to adapt to the way that the college game is moving forward, whereas it's becoming more of a passing game and it's becoming more of an up-tempo type of offense. And I think this could be good for USC. I don't know if it's going to vault them back to the top of the division and back to a conference title, but they should be a much better team than they were last year because I think JT Daniels, their starting quarterback, is better suited to this offense than he was the one he was in last season. And we have seen Harrell run offenses before. It was at North Texas, but he spent the last three seasons is the offensive coordinator there. And that's a team that scored 35 points a game the last two years. So USC, with the kind of talent that they have, should probably score more than that. The question will be the schedule because it's it's pretty daunting. They've got to play Stanford, Utah. They're on the road against Washington and Notre Dame, and then they get Oregon as well. So it's hard to imagine them coming through that without at least a couple of losses.
0: And USC is going to open up against Fresno State, which is no cupcake, by the way. Jeff <laughs> Tedford, so that's an opening. And, and Fresno State beat... UCLA last year and Chip Kelly so Chip Kelly coming in into a year where he did beat SC in 2018 Tom we know that but three and nine is not what I think a lot of people expected although it's it's a building process and I'm sure it's a long-term plan there out in Westwood when you look at Chip Kelly what are some of your expectations for the Bruins in year two here
1: you know it's funny I don't really know what my expectations are for UCLA and I think in a way that's probably what made the job so appealing to Chip Kelly in the first place, because it would, when you remember before he took the job, it was Florida or UCLA. He ended up taking UCLA because it would allow him the time to rebuild the program in his image and what he wants to do. Whereas if he would have gone to Florida, he'd have been in, the, you know, he'd have been on the hot seat right away if they lost any any kind of game. So going into the season, I think this is a team that should definitely be better than three and nine because there is too much talent on that roster, and they lost some games last year that they shouldn't have won. But at the same time. They're also, like USC, playing a very difficult schedule. They get Oklahoma early in the year. They've got to go on the road for Washington State, Stanford, Utah, and USC. And then not only that, they're opening the season at Cincinnati, which, by the way, came to UCLA and beat the Bruins last year. So there's a lot of work to do. I think that this is a team that should get to a bowl game at a minimum, but I don't think we should place too high of expectations on it yet. And I think Chip probably needs another year or two to really get UCLA in a position where it could be a real threat.
2: Hey, let's talk Arizona real quick. They play, obviously, um, Saturday night uh, out in Hawaii. They're not ranked or anything, but they do have a possible Heisman candidate in Khalil Tate. Uh, Last year, you know, up and down to say the least for him. Do you think he's squarely in the mix this year for the Heisman, and what do you expect uh, to see out of him this year?
1: We're not going to see the Khalil Tate of 2017. That was a magical, wonderful year, but he's just in a completely different offense now. That was like a read option running quarterback offense, and I think that Tate preferably he's in an offense now that's more suited to the NFL, and I think he had NFL aspirations, so I think he prefers being in this offense because it'll be able to show if he can go on to the NFL and impress the NFL teams. And while he did struggle last year, he was dealing with a myriad of injuries. He had a sprained ankle, his shoulder was bothering him, I think he had a wrist injury. The kid was just banged up. But over the last final four games of the season, he threw for 1,115 yards, 15 touchdowns, and four interceptions. So he clearly was becoming more and more comfortable in the offense as the season went along and as he got healthier and got over some of those aches and pains. So going into 2019, I don't know if he's going to enter the Heisman conversation, but I think that he's a dark horse threat because with his legs, which he really didn't use at all last year, if he can combine his running ability with the improvements he made as a passer last year, this is a kid that's going to be very dynamic and could have a magical season for the Wildcats
0: Tom, I'm going to have you put your sports line hat on for this game do you have a, an early lean or maybe even a like I, I took Hawaii plus 11 I really like that I know Sumlin away from home not always good you, you have an early play here
1: yeah I'm, I'm with you I'm taking Hawaii plus 11 simply because you know Arizona's got to fly 3,000 miles out to Honolulu school starts next week This could be, you know, we could see a situation where some of these kids on this team are looking at this as like, you know, the last vestiges of summer vacation before school kicks off and things get started. So and plus, Hawaii is a team that in the Mountain West was very it was eight to six last season. It returns everybody. It has a very good quarterback in Cole McDonald. It has a very prolific offense. I think we're going to see a shootout. So in that kind of situation, if you want to give me 11 points, I'll take those.
0: Yeah, certainly like Coach Rolovich and what he's doing out there. And we certainly know what a long trip, whether it's a bowl game or an early game out to Hawaii at Aloha Stadium can do let's end the conversation with really what is the meat of what we should talk about, Tom. And it's sort of the Pac-12 conference and where they sit themselves and find themselves in the conversation for the college football playoff. Obviously, you get four slots. There's five power conferences. You throw Notre Dame, always a different wrinkle in there. And then UCF certainly likes to want to crash the party. But when you look at the Pac-12 it always seems like like last year it was like boy it's Washington because they had the Auburn game so they need to win that and then win out Oregon's in that position this year do you think the Ducks are the best Pac-12 chance to get back into the party or, or how do you see it playing out this year
1: Yeah, there's been so much talk about the problems that the Pac-12 faces and missing the playoff and what it has to do. You know, they've they've talked about whether they should go from nine games to eight games in the conference schedule. They've talked about, you know, maybe starting games at 9 a.m. local time, which is just a mind-blowingly dumb decision, in my opinion. But I think the real problem that the Pac-12 has faced is that just during the college football playoff era, USC has been mediocre. If USC was USC, we're probably seeing more Pac-12 action in the playoff. It's just going into this season, I don't think USC is a real threat to get to the playoff. And the two teams you talked about, both Oregon and Washington, are the two likely candidates. I like Utah, but like I discussed earlier, there's still a gap between the Utes and Washington and Oregon. We saw that when they played each other last season. So I think it's going to come down to the Huskies and the Ducks, and it will be huge. That Oregon game against Auburn will be big just to set the tone for the season, because if Oregon can open the year by beating an SEC team, it kind of takes it away at the end of the year if they're in that situation where they're one of a couple teams fighting for that four spot. That Auburn win looks a lot better than if they lose to Auburn because then it will be they'll be hammered over the head with, well, you can't beat the SEC, and then Auburn didn't even win the conference, so why would you deserve a playoff spot? So I think that's a huge game, and I think Washington has a chance to be the other team. So I lean towards the Huskies simply because I think while they're kind of even with Oregon as a talent level and as a talented team, I give them more of a coaching advantage because Chris Peterson's the best coach in the Pac-12, so I'm leaning towards the Huskies being Pac-12 champs and their best bet to get to the playoff this year.
0: One more thing, and that was a great breakdown, by the way. I'm interested to see how it plays out. We talk about coaching and advantages. When you look at college football conferences, people like to say, you know, the SEC obviously is right there, and the reason why the Big Ten is kind of back is because of the coaches that they have there. How would you evaluate the Pac-12 coaches – As a whole, Peterson over at Washington, now with Cristobal over at Oregon. And we know that Herm's doing some fun things over at Arizona State. How would you sort of look and evaluate the coaches where the Pac-12 is at right now?
1: I, I think the Pac 12 is very strong at the coaching spot. You know, like you mentioned, Chris Peterson, Mario Cristobal is doing a very good job at Oregon so far. Mike Leach at Washington State has done wonderful things for that program. Someone's won in the SEC. Chip Kelly made Oregon a national contender. And, you know, Clay Helton, while the jury's still out a bit there, at least he did make the move to address his offense by hiring Graham Harrell, realizing the weaknesses of his team and trying to fix them. And then at Arizona State, like you said, Herm Edwards. Completely blew away my expectations last season. I thought that was a questionable hire at best, but he had a very solid season, had some very big wins, and I think that they're heading in the right direction. So I don't think that, that they may not be the best conference as far as top to bottom coaching ability, but I think that the coaching is not the Pac 12's problem. They have plenty of good coaches.
0: All right, and Herm Edwards going with the true freshman and Jaden Daniels. We'll have another conversation for a different day about true freshmen and the emergence of those guys in the uh, programs in terms of college football. Tom, certainly appreciate it as always. Thanks for the time. Have a good weekend, man.
1: My pleasure, you guys. Have a good weekend.
0: Welcome back to Canel and Bell. I brought up Popeye's. I'm really hungry, so talking about that chicken sandwich, that is lighting up social media. Are you a Chick-fil-A guy? I like Chick-fil-A. I don't go out. Of, like, dude, every time I drive here, down here on uh, Federal Highway 1, it's, yeah. it's always packed. and I just don't have time for it. Super packed. I'm curious. I don't
2: eat any of the chicken sandwiches, but I'm fascinated by this Popeye's versus Chick-fil-A. Dude, too,
0: but... there's a lot of people team team Popeye's, yeah. by the way. So um, let's talk about Ben Simmons. And there is some video of, of Simmons knocking down shots. Yeah. Here it is. Shot so, after shot. Uh, step in. Boom. Yeah. Okay. All right. Nobody really around him, right? This one, nor half court setting. Right. Who's that? Who's guarding him? Uh, Sounds,
2: right? Pick and roll. Or, uh, step back.
0: Ooh. okay. Get, all right. And then I think this is the one that I was like looking at. Right. Right. Yeah. Man, that's a whole lot of. How do you, how do you evaluate? Yeah, well, it's a lot of setup, right? It's a, a lot, of setup, lot of setup, right?
2: Stuff to get into your shot there. I love it though. I look, there's some where I think his balance um, is off a bit. This is me being hypercritical of the shot. Like, one of the things I, I don't necessarily love about LeBron's shot and why I think he's a little inconsistent, and I've said this to people before, is even when he doesn't have to be off balance, he's off balance. There are times when you shoot the ball where you have to be off balance. And there are times when you can afford to just go straight up and down. LeBron always lands on one foot and his weight's falling backwards. Not a good way to shoot the ball. It's hard to be consistent. So I see a little of that in Ben Simmons. But Ben Simmons is in his infancy as a as a shooter, right? Like he's just getting comfortable doing it. And we said last year, or at least I did, all I'd like to see out of him is is to get rid of the hesitancy around the shot. Just start shooting it. Just start looking comfortable pulling it, finding opportunities to raise up and shoot the jump shot. If he does that and he's committed to working on the shot, he'll become a good shooter. But the first hurdle is is shooting the shot, like mm-hmm. kind of like you saw Giannis start to do a little bit, like just shoot the shot, bro. It's there; they're giving it to you. Recognize that it's there. Have the confidence to shoot it. Then, obviously, he's done a huge amount of work on the shot because he's knocking it down. I would bet that next year he doesn't. He's not a proficient shooter yet in the NBA. He'll make way more than he did last year. He didn't make any, but he'll be a. He won't be proficient yet. The following year, if he continues to work on that jump shot, he'll be a a a, a threat. From, from mid-range and maybe the
0: three-point area as well. A couple things I want to ask you about. I'll start with the evolution of Ben Simmons as yeah. a shooter. What would be, if you're Brown and company, the best approach? Would it be? Because you always hear easy shots or the catch-and-shoot shots. So do you let Joel do work? You 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 put Ben out there so he's a catch-and-shoot guy. He's not a
2: catch-and-shoot guy. You can see by that video.
0: Because it takes so much setup. That's yeah. so what I'm asking, though. Or does he have to now build that sort of – Shot where he just comes in, even if it's a mid-range J, just pipe that a little bit more. Yeah, I, th-
2: I think you put the ball in his hands because uh, he's a really gifted playmaker, um and he's really never going to be an off-the-ball kind of guy. So you put the ball in his hands and you let him find the shots that he likes to shoot. So maybe you have a conversation: Hey Ben, look like you like to play pick and roll. You know, it looks like you have to take into account that those guys aren't really pressed up playing real defense in those in those games either. Mm-hmm. So maybe you get him kind of off of a pick and roll. You get him a switch. Uh, you gotta big on him, create a little bit more space. You let him get into his little dance routine and let him shoot those shots. He looks comfortable with those shots. And if I were the Sixers, I don't care whether you shoot 35% from, from like deep twos or threes or, you know, you know, 28%. I don't care. I just want to see you getting comfortable shooting the ball and realizing that this is a part of your game that hopefully, you know, over the course of next year going into the following year, you can grow to now you're this well-rounded offensive player because he's as gifted as there is in the NBA Mm -hmm. um, with size, strength, athleticism combination, ability to see the floor. He's just got to find this jumper, so it's really encouraging to see him in these videos.
0: And I think that's what, you know, it's easy for everyone as, as basketball fans and even maybe former players to say, you know, Ben, why is not he better at this particular? Well, he's also so good at everything else. Yeah, you tend to default and lean on the things you're really good. Now, the one thing, I, the second thing I wanted to ask you is obviously, you know, you've critiqued the shot, you've offered some things here. How difficult is it? Because I mentioned I was joking about the chicken wing thing, but like Tayshawn Prince, right? That's what always sure. comes to mind. He had sort of that outer shot. He was, he was doing fine. Like, how much do you, is it more about comfort? You actually have to tweak form. I mean, for Ben, is it is it a mixture of both or like? I,
2: I so. Jump shots are like snowflakes. Like they're not all the same fingerprints, right? Like everyone's is different. So if I were building a jump shot, sure, I would want you to get that elbow in line with the shoulder lined up to the rim, hand right underneath the ball. We're going to just go on up and over, but that's not reality, right? These guys have played, he's played basketball for 20 years, like, or 15, 16 years, whatever it is. He's got habits. Like, his biomechanics are what they are at this point. Unless you're gonna completely break his shot down and overhaul it, I don't see why you would have to bring his elbow underneath, right? So to your point about Tyshawn Prince, Reggie Miller, uh, Kevin, uh, what was the kid's name that played, um, for the Sacramento for, for so long? He shot it like, like, Over. across his face. Um oh, Kevin Martin? Kevin Martin. You know, guys become good shooters with, with unique forms. So Ben, it's just about reps, like get them up, start feeling comfortable, building your confidence in them. You know, obviously he's tweaked some things. I mechanically, I don't know exactly what they are, but I think he's probably tweaked some things with the shooting coach. But more importantly, I think he's just shot it so much to this point that yeah. his confidence is growing in it.
0: Stretch time here on cannell and Bell. This hour's flown by, but we're going to end with sort of the breakdown of tomorrow night's game. It opens up the college football season. Unranked Miami going up against eighth-ranked Florida out in Orlando. We're receiving votes, bro. Like, yeah, you are others yeah, receiving, receiving votes, votes. Okay. Correct. So, so a win definitely gets you in. Okay. Huh? All right. Well, that's, let's yeah. just say that right okay. now. I got I'll that going for right me, bat, which is right? nice. Yeah. So, uh, what are you looking forward to this matchup? It's been kind of interesting, where with Manny Diaz and Dan Mullen offense versus defense.
2: Yeah, I am not a um, like a, I'm not a guy who takes moral victories away from anything. So this is like I, I'm looking for a win. Like that's what that from Miami's perspective. I'm not one of those guys that's like, hey man, I just need to see mm. you know a better. All right, I would like to see. A better offense, right? I was getting a little frustrated with Mark Richt and the play call in last year. So I would like to see if the guy I forget his name Aaron Williams, a uh, young kid. Well no, not the quarterback, oh, but yeah. the O. C. they brought in from Alabama last year and Jaron Williams. I want to see if they're a good team, right? If if that offense uh can look creative and and be fun to watch. Um, I expect the defense from Miami's perspective to be where it's been over the last couple of years. That's that's Manny's wheelhouse and by all accounts we've got some we don't have the same depth up front, but we we have some, you know, good talent there. From Florida, I mean Look, we we have to make Felipe Franks beat us, if that makes sense. Like, I know he had a great end of last season, and they started coming on strong. But I believe if you let them run the ball, and you let them dictate up front with the bigs, uh, the way that game is going to be played, and you just let them complement with Felipe, we're in trouble. If Felipe has to beat us, and he beats us, hat off to you. I'll tip my cap. We'll go back to the drawing board. But I think that's the recipe for
0: us. All right, so again, that's going to be uh, strength versus strength. You're talking about Florida's offense against Miami's defense. You talked about the quality up front, the defensive line. Miami does have some question marks, linebackers, and DBs, and we'll see uh, if Florida, with their wide receivers, can certainly exploit that. We're also looking at sort of the prop bets right here. You're talking about. the freshman jaron williams over under 170 seems like maybe a little bit to me too high i would lean under there Mm -hmm. franks though you're saying 184 and a half so in your eyes you'd probably want the over in that case i think if he went
2: over that um provided there was no running game to supplement it i feel pretty
0: good about it the miami florida line you like the touchdown favorite um
2: i mean i think it's fair i take miami though minus seven um I mean, obviously, with my heart, I'm betting that they win, but even, even, even the, the number seven, I, I, most people have said it's going to be this low scoring kind of grind you out yep. type of game. So seven is probably a little high.
0: Yeah. Me. If you can find seven and a half, I'd probably jump on it. it. It has been bet down to seven in most places. I think a lot of people like Miami and the value there to start the season. And again, it'll be interesting to see. So it, it, it's cool in a way to see Manny Diaz obviously back. He, he sort of, uh, South Florida native, and I know he had the temple thing where he was there for about a hot minute. But sometimes, when the perfect job and the dream job opens up, you gotta go. It's the fit, man. And hopefully, I mean, I just want
2: to see a good game because I'm a college football fan. Selfishly, I want Miami to win, but I'm really excited for college football. I'll be up. I don't stay up to watch NBA games, (laughs) but I will stay up to watch Arizona like Hawaii. Like I'm that big of a college football fan, so I can't wait. uh, Can't wait for Saturday and my boys, my two younger boys. My 12-year-old and my 10-year-old. It's opening week for both of them in their Pop Warner League. Oh, nice. So I got a football from like 10 a.m. that morning all the way through midnight.
0: Uh, we got less than 30 seconds, though. But I'm surprised, by the way, or 10? Oh, but by the way, it's 50-50. Orlando, it's going to be a lot of South Florida natives oh, no out there. No doubt. you're going to be representing. We're
2: coming home with this thing, bro. Turnover chain in full effect this weekend.
0: I mean, AC Kiernan. We'll see you. Have a good weekend, everybody.